Welcome to Putting It Together, the podcast that goes through the entire body of work of Stephen Sondheim, show by show and song by song. My name is Kyle Marshall, your self-described Sondheim expert. We're going through our Sondheim Revisited mini-season here, so it is the return of Jonathan Chisholm, and we are talking about By the Sea, as you have probably noticed by the title of this podcast episode. So we get to return back into the world of Sweeney Todd from my little birds that have been, you know, uh, squeaking and squawking at me. Uh, I've heard really good things about the new Sweeney Todd that is on Broadway, which I believe is still in previews. So they're still working some kinks out, but people have been really liking the scenery, the the costume design, uh, some really big raves for some of the actors involved. Specifically, I will say that it is um, Annalee Ashford who has been called out. Now, this is all from, you know, third-hand accounts. I would love to know more about this, so if anyone out there has actually seen the show, please send me in your review. We can read a bit of it here on air and see what the community feels about the new Sweeney Todd. Um, I thought I had a lot more correspondence than I did, but I think it's just because I've been sending so many emails back and forth, getting ready for the Sunday in the Park with George season, but there is one that I didn't want to just blow past. This was sent in by Patrick into the email putting it together podcast at gmail.com. A little bit of an ego boost, I'm not going to lie, but uh, they write, Your Merrily season has been so super. I just wanted to thank you and congratulate you. The Ann Morrison episode was such joy. It's never been my favorite show. The characters are just so rancid to me, but the music soars, and you've given me a new appreciation for it. Um, he's also talked about how he would try and fix the show, but I thought I would just keep it there with the positivity, and uh, very excited to see how this show, even though it was not a great time for most of the people involved, allowed them all to kind of go off and, and find themselves and do different things. There's no reason to keep uh, delaying it here anymore. Let's get into my conversation about By the Sea. Oh, although one thing I will say, there's going to be a moment that happens in this episode where I accidentally say that Faith Prince is Hal Prince's wife, which is completely a thousand percent incorrect. That's his daughter. His wife, his name is Judith, uh, or I think most people called her Judy. Never met the woman. I don't know. But she was the one who uh, commented something that you will hear later on in this episode. Jonathan Chisholm, thank you so much for coming back. I'm so happy to be here. I mean, you get to come back here and I guess discuss a Mrs. Lovett song from from Sweeney Todd, which is going to be, I think, real fun. But uh, I, I think you need to give your stamp, your State of the Union address on your thoughts on Sweeney Todd the musical. Oh, Sweeney Todd. Uh, Sweeney Todd is one of those shows that like, you know, I don't I don't know how many people it's their gateway into Sondheim, uh, mm. but it's certainly one that you hear about pretty close to after you really come into your own as a Sondheim fan. I mean, it's, you know, it's trite perhaps to say, but it is his, it is his magnum opus. I think it's the thing that it's his best work in terms of his totality, whether you like it or not, it's up to your like interpretation of like or whatever it is. But I think it's in in its totality, it's his best work. You know, there's something else I was thinking about here the other day. I think there is this idea by many people who may not be like super Sondheim fans. It's, I guess Sondheim got to be known in a, in a way if you look at like, take a look at 
take company or follies pacific overtures even assassins they're not super like plot heavy shows you know what i mean like sure. there's scenes in there and there's thematic things that run through the entire production but it's not like you're seeing down let me tell you about this immaculate plot that has been constructed for you to to witness and sweet is kind of the opposite of that like it is very plot heavy things lead into other scenes like songs lead into other songs so yeah, it is. Uh, it really is his magnum opus, and one that he like. This is the only one, from my understanding, the only show he is a part of that he was the spearheader of. Like, it's like I want to do this show. Yeah, uh, he, it it is such a, and you know, not even just. I mean, with the plot and everything, it's also. I mean, you know, musical themes are setting up musical things. You know, it's like mm -hmm, there's mm -hmm. so much. Just, just like it's clear that there was so much love and like just excitement. You know, I'm not surprised it was his idea. It was his idea because uh, it just it shows, I think, in the writing and not necessarily. I don't I don't I think Sondheim is great about every show he writes of having, you know, something that he can like latch into. But particularly with this show, I think it's just quite apparent how much he really wanted to write this and and write something that was, you know, write a musical thriller, which had never really been done. Uh, the more you read up on it. He goes to London. I forget what show it was. It might have been, I think it was the Angela Lansbury version of Gypsy, to be honest with you. I think that's what he was over there for. But anyway, he stumbles across this play written by Christopher Bond. Loves it so much that he tries to see if there's he, he can get the rights. He eventually does. He thinks he can do this all by himself. But he, said, uh, he runs into this issue, which is that uh, as much of this is already written, this was a long play that he's gonna he he was trying to really constrict down. He's like, I just I don't know how to do this, which is why he brings on his collaborators to help him like really crunch down the plot that was even longer in the Christopher Bond play into something that was a manageable like two and a half hours. I was gonna say because it's like two and a half three hours depending on the production. Yeah, I mean it's it's a long show by itself anyway. So actually, what I would really love, I actually really want to, at the very least, read the Christopher Bond play at some point in my life. I found an out of print copy and was never able to get it because it's written in verse and there, it was broken up by essentially parlor songs. <laughs> so like beer or uh, pub songs that people would sing. So it sounds like a wild, very interesting time. I totally understand why Sondheim would be interested in it to then adapt it into a, a full, full fledged musical. But I'd love to, I'd love to experience what that original play was like. Yeah. I mean, it, it's one of those things where it's like, it almost feels like Thornton Wilder's The Matchmaker and Hello Dolly, you know, like now, mm. you know, it's like this, the thing has usurped the thing, but it is interesting That's to right. go back and research and like look at those type of things because like i think in in finishing the hat he does do he shows like little snippets of lines that he remembers or that he that, that inspired certain things i'm like oh this is interesting people who are much more knowledgeable than me have, have pointed out to that fact both on the show and through email where there are certain songs where there is big sections that are liberally been borrowed from the Christopher Bond play, sure. but then put into like rhyming couplets and stuff like that. But like a lot of those uh, phrases are things that are coming right from that play too. Yeah, which is, you know, I mean, that's, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Right, right, right. The last thing I just wanted to say about this is I think maybe the most telling, and to your point about like why this spoke to Sondheim so much, you know, it is weird. It's like this murderous barber, like conspiring with his landlady to go and like cook people into meat pies. But it was, uh, I'm pretty sure it was Faith Prince. So Hal Prince's wife, who when she finally saw like a run through of it, she was like, Steve, that's your life that's up there. 
which I think is so telling. <laughs> I mean, that's so devastating, I think. But 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 sometimes I said, like, she was right. Like, yeah, I'm not going after murdering people, but that feeling of, like, loneliness and dread and, like, all that kind of stuff, that, like, there was a reason why he was drawn to this. Well, sure. And, he, you know, he always says, you know, he never, well, with very few exceptions, ever wrote anything that yeah. was autobiographical. But, you know, as a writer, you do, you're drawn to things. As an artist in general, you're drawn to certain things mm -hmm. because... You know, I I think it was, you know, uh, Elaine Stritch, who was once quoted as saying, somebody asked her, do you think that the Elaine Stritch persona is why you get cast in certain parts? Or do you think it's because, you know, or is, does it inform it? And she's like, yeah, of course it does. Nobody would lose themselves completely in a role unless they're insane. <laughs> and I think it's the same way right, with right. writers. I mean, like you, 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 you're drawn to something and people see you for something because it, of something in you and it, and, it, and mm -hmm. whether you're aware of it consciously or not have you ever thought of that yourself like for, for me I, i'm doing this project right now i'm turning an age that i don't want to say on there but uh i'm, I'm going through and i'm 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 calling like my favorite movies of all time mm -hmm. uh i'm going to try to make this top 40 list of my favorite movies of all time not from all time from when i was born to keep it somewhat manageable so it's my top 40 and uh boy when you start to take a look at the list i'm like wow i am obviously drawn to coming of age stories because a good 15 of these are coming of age stories and it's not uh, until you like take a step back and like oh my gosh there's definitely something that's speaking to me in the broader culture i'm returning again to this type of story over and over again but for you, have you ever thought about it yourself? Oh, no, absolutely. You know, when I, when I look at my, even just my body of work as a performer and like roles that I, I, I don't really covet parts much anymore, but like when I, but when I, when I get attached to a part and I get involved in it, I'm like, I do find, you know, a lot of oddly in ways that you don't expect, especially like when, you know, like you play a part like, oh, I don't, you know, like I play Shylock in college in Merchant of Venice mm -hmm. yeah, and I'm like, you know, I'm not Jewish. I, I'm not, I'm, I don't want to kill, you know, want to kill somebody, but that feeling of like, not belong, you know, feeling left out and feeling like not a human being, you, you, you know, I, I can relate to that. And it's, you know, as a, as a queer person and, you know, like it, it really, you know, that's just the first thing that comes to mind, but it's like one of those things where mm -hmm. it's like, yeah, I mean, I think the more you look at what you're into, what you what you value it i think it comes across in what you're drawn to in terms of your art in terms of your life but in terms of art specifically how about mrs lovett what are your thoughts on the character of mrs lovett i love mrs love <laughs> <laughs> that's the, that's the podcast good night no i'm kidding what can be said about it's one of the greatest parts written for the musical theater it's just it's wonderfully nuanced she is a moral but has a lot of heart you know she's smart but in a in in a in a non like intellectual kind of way there's so many colors to play with and so many different performers have played her over the years in like hundreds of different ways and you know for a show that is so like plotted and so like these are the characters she is she is malleable in a way that i feel like, like sometimes a few few other of the characters in the show are i mean i think that that's the more fascinating thing of having gone through the, the entire sweeney todd season i mean i'm always gonna love angela lansbury like the definitive version of mrs lovett but other people have done really great interpretations of that role and i'm excited to see annalee ashford at some point hopefully to see how she does yeah that's starting when we're recording this that's starting fairly soon yeah like 
a week or two, something like that. Anyways, they just moved in. I have a few friends in it. They just moved into the theater. I think. Yeah, so. I know that I've been seeing the the videos of them during rehearsals and stuff. So it has to be fairly soon. But but the simple fact, yeah, like how involved is she? Or I guess how knowingly involved is she in both the murders and like the conniving that you do see in her throughout the show? I think that's the most the most fascinating part. The recurring theory that kept popping up in the Sweeney Todd season for us is like, what does the text say versus like, how did it get interpreted by these actors? Because uh-huh. uh, that's an important thing. I, I do think that she knows more than she let's on and i think that's definitely within the text she knows that where the actor can really bring it uh, and make it their own is like how much does she know sure. uh, how involved was she with lucy's death how involved was she getting sweeney todd to become a murderous cipher for her sort of thing mm-hmm. and then finally like how you play the final scene like does she know she's about to die or is that a complete surprise because actually actresses have played that differently as well it's true and, and while it's all supported in the text and in the music and in what you're mm-hmm. given as a performer that and i think that it's a you know i can only speak as a performer myself who hopes to one day play mrs lovett intent so, there is so much material just there that is specific but in a way that is so just like i keep saying the word malleable but it's the truth it really is it's such a mm-hmm. you have you have there's like a hundred dip- different options for ev- every moment that you play not a hundred perhaps but you know at least a good five i uh i mean you keep saying malleable i mean i think this just goes to show you that there should be a play-doh set of sweeney todd get on it people get on it <laughs> <laughs> but no it yeah i mean but truly i mean like it you know any role that can have you know angela lansbury patty lapone helen bonham carter ella annalee ashford emma thompson play the role and they're all mm. none of them are anything like the other you know not even vocally you know they're all different vocalists uh it i think that, that says a lot for the not only the quality of the writing but the quality of the role itself what they created Hey everyone, just Kyle breaking into the conversation here to tell you about some of the people and organizations that help this show continue to go. Of course, if you'd like to help support the show for absolutely free, you can give a rating and review on whatever app you listen to podcasts in. It's, of course, greatly appreciated. And if you'd like to help out monetarily, which will only help to grow and make this show better, you can do so over at our Patreon page. Please do not donate if it impacts you negatively financially. I also need to give a huge thank you to the God That's Good tier from Patreon of Jack, Todd, Robert, Louise, Christopher, Stephen, and Derek, and Witty. Putting it together as a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown community supported the alberta podcast network promotes and supports alberta made podcasts and connects their audiences with alberta based businesses and organizations this episode is brought to you by park power your friendly local utilities provider in alberta offering internet electricity and natural gas with low rates awesome service and profit sharing with local charities in alberta you do get to choose who to buy your internet electricity and natural gas from If you choose Park Power, you are choosing a positive local business. Plus, Park Power shares its profits with local not-for-profits that are working to make a difference for their communities. Shopping local is very important to Park Power's owner, Chris Kozowski, and we love local here at the Alberta Podcast Network. So it's a great fit. Learn more at parkpower.ca. We're also brought to you this week by the Edmonton Public Schools Open House. So let's go and take a listen to what they sent over. Get ready to take the guesswork out of choosing a school. Go to Edmonton Public Schools Open House. 
Meet the staff and ask your questions to learn about their schools and programs. Explore your options and find the school that feels right. Find event dates and learn how to make the most out of your visit at openhouse.epsb.ca. Know before you go and feel confident and excited when you get there. Well, that all being said, actually, I should do the uh, Mrs. Lovett thing. It's like, that's all very well. But what song are we talking about here today? We're talking about By the Sea, Mrs. Lovett's big act two song. Why did you pick this song? I, you know, I feel like this is a song that often gets, I won't say forgotten, but it is Worst Pies in London is the intro. Uh, Poor Thing is like such like a, you know, is an interesting, like manipulative song. And then, of course, the little priest is like, just wait, people forget about. But, you know, but wait is nice as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, she has all these great songs in Act One. And, of course, little priest is like the just to end the act. And then by the sea, you know, it's the only song that she really feels like she's revealing herself in a lot of ways. I think, yeah, I definitely think it's a song that she almost reveals too much. And I don't think she realizes it. Yeah. And I think that makes it the most interesting song in a certain sense of hers you know it's it's not her manipulating it's not her just gabbering on it's not her you know any of those things it's just her kind of just talking about what she would like out of her life which you know Mm -hmm. is the only time we really get that that sort of insight into her uh yeah i mean i think the the biggest revelation for me just based on Sondheim's own words and other people who have done analysis of the whole score, it is interesting uh, how weight is almost like the the cornerstone of the entirety of Act One and into Act Two. Like it, musically, keeps getting referred to. Uh, it's the one that Sondheim says, like you can't cut it. You, it seems like it's wasting time, but you cannot cut this song, or else nothing else after it works. So exactly. I think that's interesting, and I think that this is an important song too. I think a lot of people, like you said, might just blow past it, thinking it's somewhat frivolous or it's just uh, wasting time for like the big act two finale, essentially. But I think that it is interesting for character, for character growth. Because Act Two is so like you know we know we feel like we know where the the show is headed at that point. People, it's like a train like barreling down the tracks. Yeah, exactly. Like logistically, it also if if you know we have we have a show where you know that they were writing, they knew they had Angela, so they were writing a show where they so you yeah. need to give your leading lady a song in the second act. You know, like that's just a logistic yes. thing at a certain point. I always love the story of uh, Mandy Patinkin where he got a little bit perturbed that he had to go and audition for Sunday in the Park with George. And Sondheim had to call him up and was like, Mandy, I get everyone to audition for me, unless your name is Andrew Lansbury. But other than that, everyone auditions for me. I know. I just was reading, um, uh, put, is it Putting It Together? Is that the... Putting It Together, yeah. Yeah, I was just reading that uh, recently, and I read that story, and I was just like, yeah, it, that is really funny. But it's the truth. You know, you, you, you know, when you're writing for, I mean, that's how they got her to be in the show is they were like we're gonna beef this part up and it's gonna be you know it's gonna be the leading lady of the show it's gonna be sweeney todd but that you are the leading lady of the show well i think that's the most revealing thing about this show in total is that the the show is called sweeney todd and yet who does everyone care about who's cast it's mrs lovett you want to know who the mrs lovett is before you actually know who the sweeney todd is (laughs) 
It's true. And, you know, that goes back to the quality of the character. And I think this song is both, a, it's a brilliant song and it's also, it's so hard. Just sets a song to sing. It's really hard. Well, let's get into it here. I'm going to hope that this actually works. Let's see if it does. I'm going to try and share my screen. You tell me if you hear this. Great. I'm so happy I could eat you up. I really could. You know what I'd like to do, Mr. Tom. What I dream, if the business stays as good, where I really like to go in a year or so. Don't you want to know? Of course. Do you really want to know? Yes, yes, I do, I do. This is not a visual medium, but I just I just started smiling like so much when I heard <laughs> it just the, the amount of joy, the, specifically in Angela's recording, which is what we're listening to, is that the amount of like, there's so little joy in Sweeney's heart. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's like, this is one of the few moments where every, you know, yes, they're talking about, you know, it's it's in a macabre situation, but the amount of joy that just exists in the song and right off the bat with the kissing, with the you know, the the tripping off the tongue, you know, the double entendre of I could eat you up, I really could. <laughs> and there's so much just going on already and it just it it sets you off. You were like, and we're off on the ride. We're off to the races. I mean, I even in the uh, much maligned movie version of Sweeney Todd, I love the visual language that happens during this song. Like it is the the one time where the color palette becomes super bright and it's super positive. And on stage, it's the same thing. Like she is so happy. Contrasted, we should say, with Sweeney Todd looking so upset this entire time. Just <laughs> like, he's like, yeah, whatever. Just morose as could be. When is the judge gonna get here? I want to kill the judge. I know it's like poor baby, honestly. Uh, the kissing thing is the thing that always stood out to me, and it's it's a really interesting like way they built up this character that she is. I'm gonna say like percussive. Like the first time we meet her in Worst Pies in London, she's like banging on the table and throwing the dough and killing cockroaches. But the song is written because she has to hit certain beats in time uh, with her hands, and here. You have to sing this song in time with her kissing his cheek. So you actually have to like time those kisses properly as well, too. So it's something that recurs for for Mrs. Lovett, which I find fun. I agree. It's also, you know, and it's probably because Sondheim doesn't make mistakes. It's also a helpful thing for the for the performer because you're like, OK, that the rhythm, bop, bop, da, 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 you know, it keeps you on track. Yeah. It is actually the same rhythm as um, as Worst Pies in London, which is like popping pussies into pies. Like, like it's right. that it's that rhythm that she's doing here at the very beginning. Yeah, exactly. Because you know, it's she's in that kind of chatterbox mode that that mm. Sondheim likes to call it in the in in, in the, that kind of just like you know, I'm just I'm just saying what's coming to my brain. Here we go. Uh, well, this is what comes to her brain here next. Uh, let me just back up a bit. By the sea, Mr. Todd, that's the life I covet. By the sea, Mr. Todd, who I know you'd love it. You and me, Mr. T, we could be alone in the house, what we'd almost own. Down by the sea, anything you say, wouldn't that be smashing? This is one of, I mean, you know, obviously, hot takes on how I could write a lyric. You don't say. Yeah. I know, right? <laughs> but yeah, I think, you know, just the, you know, just the precision of just like both how she's performing it, but also how it is just written. And you can tell that Sondheim w worked really hard to try to find a way to say that, to, to sing this, that would be possible considering how 
there's really no he didn't if you look at the sheet music for this song there is no place to breathe you just oh really to, yeah okay <laughs> yeah you have to he it's basically i remember angela in an interview once saying with all of the song it's just like and breathe when you can good luck <laughs> but considering that not unlike with like a song like getting married today or something like that which granted that's a lot faster but he's very good about being like no this is possible because i i i did it i figured it out but you just have to figure it out yourself I don't know why it always stands out to me or why I always notice it, but just the fact that he covet and rhymes it with love it, like the two words love it. I feel like if another person had done this, it's like, oh, covet, I'll rhyme it with her last name. Love it, which seems like the obvious thing, but I think it's just another little play on words that he's using. No, exactly. And it's one of those things. I mean, that, that's the one reason I, the more I've listened to this song over the years, the more I've really loved it. Uh-huh. Because... It's full of just things that just fly by and then like five lines later, you're like, oh, that's that. Okay. I mean, not to go back, but like that whole thing about, oh, Mr. Todd, I could eat you up. I really could. I didn't realize that was a joke until maybe like three years ago. <laughs> it is kind of like that. This slipped right in there. They can roll past you. It's like, wait a second. Yeah. it's. It, I know what you just did there. It's so smart. It's just so smart. You know, you just want to like, I don't know, take some time, you know. God rest his soul, obviously, but you know, we wanted to take Sondheim out and just like, let me pick your brain. You're just, you're so smart. You're so smart. <laughs> How did you get to be here? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. So let's continue on here. With the sea at our gate, we'll have Kippen, Herring, Walk of Swamp to escape from the straits of Bering every night in the kip. When we're through our kippers, I'll be there slipping off your slippers by the sea. With a fishy splashing. Don't you want to be where the fishies are splashing? Oh, I know. She sounds, I always forget how amazing she sounds on that recording. Yeah, she's like really great. One of the best, well, obviously one of the best Angela Lansbury performances, but just it's the great recording of yeah. her performance. She's in full control of her instrument in a way that is just lovely to hear. Mm -hmm. But that, that verse, I mean, you know, straights of, you know, the whole, of the bearing and, you know, all, all of those rhymes are just, you know, so just like, marked yeah using uh the the word kip in three different ways yeah. like she he's using that consistently in trip slip i don't like know he's, uh, he's using a bunch of internal rhymes. that was the two i was trying to think of herring and bearing i love that those two that's it's so smart and it again it really shows i you know rhyme inherently shows a level of intelligence in a character like especially how like how like int intricate the rhyme is and i love that Mrs. Lovett has that kind of, you know, she's very street smart, but she is smart. So like these kind of like, you're getting that it's, you're, subconsciously, you're getting the idea, you know, if you haven't figured it out by now, this is a very intelligent woman. Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. She might not be like book learned, but she is incredibly intelligent and she is in, she is in control of her being, whether you think she's insane or not, she's very right. sane in her being. Well, and, and that's the thing, too, about, I guess, the Sweeney Todd character. And this is where you can start writing all your fan fictions, I suppose. I'm, I'm curious if he truly understands that yet. I think he does by the end of the show. But I'm wondering if he really, truly understands how smart she is. You know, just everyday things like 
<laughs> making a business, conniving what she needs out of life. Because here in this song, he's super distracted. So within this scene, it, it makes sense for him to like be focused on one thing and her trying to get him to agree that isn't this going to be a great future that we have together? Because I think it is a bit of a surprise for him at the end of the show to be like, wait a second, you were smart enough to concoct this whole scheme this entire time. Right. And I think that goes to um, interpretation. I think as written, I don't know how much Sweeney is aware of Mrs. of Mrs. Lovett's intelligence, other than mm -hmm. the moments where she does something that's useful to him, like a sure. little priest or like things like that. But I do think there is a level of variability, variability that allows for an actor who's playing Sweeney to you, know, you have you obviously have to play the ending as it is. It also depends on how much like much you want to lean into the sexual chemistry between the two characters which that sure. varies tremendously depending on the production yes yeah it's uh we can't all be a sultry mrs lovett like patty lapone was but um <laughs> it's well, right exactly some have tried like, it's one of those things where it's like depending on the, we all try we strive to be that but yeah it's one of those things where it allows there to be bends in the road so to speak for the actors sure. yeah it's really nice let's uh back up here and continue on i can see the breakers breaking, the seagulls squawking. Ooh, ooh, I do need baking, then I go walking with you. you I want me bones on the esplanade. I tea and scones with me gay young blade. Then I'll need a sweater while you write a letter. Unless we got better to do. Of course, uh, gay meant something very different back then, but still, uh, she is she's envisioning a nice stroll along the Esplanade. Oh yes, indeed. It's it's such an interesting, you know. I I appreciate you know where he wrote the the hoo hoos because they really do sound like little like you know squawk. No matter how you do them, whether you're singing them, whether you're actually squawking them, they all it always comes out just the right sound and really paints a, a really pretty picture. It, this is the part where this is like the trick of this song i think at a certain level is that by this point in the song if i think if you're doing the song well as a, as a mrs lovett the audience is starting to see oh she buys she buys her own bullshit bullshit you know she's a little bit you know what i mean she's like no matter how smart she really is there's also a level of there is a level of delusion going on here that she even she can't sit. I think I think that's a, actually a really smart thing to to bring up here is that no matter how smart a character is, there has to be at some level a bit of delusion that goes on. Whether it's like you know the traditional hero who believes they're going to go and like save the princess, or it's a villain who's like, no, I'm totally justified with blowing up half the world. Like there has to be some of that delusion that they truly a hundred percent believe. And I think Mrs. Lovitz is like. Oh, it's totally going to be, we're just going to kill some more people and then we're going to go and retire in the cottage country and live a life of ease and, and be super, super happy together. This, this is why I think this song is actually much more interesting than what some people might bring it or believe it to be, which is A, it's doing that, showing us her delusion. B, being funny. C, allowing her to be a little bit daffy on screen to, again, if this is your first viewing, throw us off the trail a little bit of like just how conniving she really is. Uh, and lastly, like the vocal performance isn't exactly easy in this either. Like if you're following the music as written, like this is not an easy vocal performance to, to pull off. 
no, it's and it's it's an incredibly wide vocal range of like you're you're in and you know not to get super technical, but you're like in your chest, you're ba- you're bouncing back and forth between your chest and your head voice, just oh mm-hmm. you know there there and you know like if you know what you're doing is not quote difficult, but it tires the voice. So it, it, you have to really know you have to really be on your on your voice to sing this and. It, you know when you're some when you have like Angela's equipment, you know who she was. You know up until she died was could still sing about this good. I mean, it was she had just a remarkable instrument. Uh, the other thing I, I love how every actress differentiates themselves is how they decide to do the seagulls because some literally <laughs> go and sound like a seagull, like they actually squawk, <laughs> and some do go and do it as as musically written sort of thing. So that's also a nice a nice little acting choice that someone can go with. Exactly. And it's, it gives you, again, that's another, that's another option of play. And, you know, when I feel like, you know, like Emma Thompson, when she did it really leaned into the, you know, the squawking it, but she's yeah. more of an actress and she would admit that herself. So this, this is such an aside, but just because you brought it up talking about a person that I deeply, deeply love as a performer is Emma Thompson. If people have not seen this movie, it was a very small film called I think it's called I Love You, Leo Grand, that came out last year. Big hold, highly recommended uh, for me. It, uh, I think, is on, at least in America, uh, Amazon Prime. But it's basically, she plays this woman who basically has lived a sexually frustrated life and decides to get a male sex worker to help her through her issues. So it basically, it feels like a play because it basically takes place in one hotel room for basically 90% of the entire runtime. And she gives a phenomenal performance. That's my Emma Thompson um, <laughs> fan account that I'm- No, I, I second that. I, I watched now. that movie recently and it I it's it's honestly a crime that she wasn't nominated for for more awards for it. It was a brilliant performance. Totally agree. I was like, maybe there might be an outside chance, and no, no, didn't happen. Uh, all right, so let's uh, continue on here. Think I snag, it'll be underneath our flannel when it's just you and me and the English Channel in a cozy retreat, kept all neat and tidy. We'll have chance over every Friday by the sea. Anything you say. Well, just after you've gone through the first, you know, the first squawk, I call them the, the two bridges, essentially. I call them the squawking sections. Yeah. Uh, once you go <laughs> through the first squawking section and then to bring back, you know, just, you know, to put like a little bow on the first like chunk of the song about, you know, and then just, of course, the rhymes, you know, flannel and channel. And it's just, it's so, it paints such a beautiful like picture of something that, if you've been if you've been if you've been playing the home game watching the show even if it's your first time yeah. you're like there's no way in hell this is actually going to happen well yeah that's also true it's like she is in such a delusion right now there is no way well i have seen plays and movies before there is no way this ends well <laughs> there's no way this story ends well so like there's like a bit of dramatic irony that's happening here where it's like you can say that this is how the show is going to wrap up but like that's a very different story. We have seen them kill minimum three people already in this show. At this point, mm-hmm. you know we, you know, so there, there is a level of like that. There, you know, there's no going back from that in a certain type of play. You know what I mean? So, it's like, mm-hmm. and but the how like nice and neatly though, like the images, it's clear 
I think this verse particularly makes it very clear. She thought about this. Oh, yeah. She's been daydreaming about this. Yeah. Just even the offhand ones, like, we'll grow old together. And it's like, don't you love the weather? Like, it's such, it's such a funny thing because, like, I could just in your, like, non-singing scenes, as few of them as there are, that feels like something that she would have just said in passing one day while baking meat pies. Her thought process just kind of, like, bounces all over the place. Right. It's like, it's like cr- her brain is like cr- a bunch of crossed wires and they just kind of fire off in every direction. And, and, you know, occasionally they focus in on when really, when it's, when it's important, it, they focus, focus in, but like her default mode is just to kind of cross wire and just be like, oh, I'm just all over the place. All right. Let's go to our next section here. I can see us now in our bathing dresses, you in a nice navy and me stripes perhaps. It'll be so quiet that who can buy it except the seagull. We shouldn't try it until it's legal for two. But a seaside wedding could be devised. Me rambled bedding legitimized. Me eyelids will flatter. I'll turn into butter the moment I mutter. I do. The last time I talked about this song, there was a bit of a debate about what she means specifically in this section about it being illegal for two. What is your opinion? In my recent years, because I've been listening to this for a while, but in my last, I say the last five years, I've come to feel like that phrase is like, they're already sleeping together. Mm-hmm. Uh, and sh- but, but she is a woman in a time period where that would be frowned upon. You, no matter your class, you know, you know, you're not married, so you need to get married. Um, and I, so I, I, that to me is how I, I take that, you know, especially a seaside wedding would be devised, me rumpled bedding, legitimized. I, I think ultimately, I think you are correct. I just want to point that out. I think ultimately your interpretation is correct. I do just want to say that uh, it, it depends on whether you believe that that rumpled bedding is something she's mentioning is happening already or that she's hoping is going to happen. <laughs> That is true. I, that is an absolute. My future fixed. rumple bedding will be legitimized because we'll then be married because that's what I want to have happen is a relationship with you. Or is it already happening? Again, people kind of go back and forth. There's a bunch of fan discussion about this online, about whether people think that they are already sleeping together. By the way, that is that is a sex tape I never want to have released. That is just not something I am interested in seeing. <laughs> oh, I have images now. No, I have images. Yeah. Okay. In a certain sense, I do feel a little bit with Angela's performance because of just how much she throws it away. It maybe is just like maybe she is thinking about it'll it will legitimize when we're together. It mean it it that also could just be like bias of like how we see Angela Lansbury. You know what I mean? True enough. Yeah. Yeah. Mrs. So, Fletcher. Yeah. Exactly. But I think both interpretations, there is ground for both interpretations, which again makes a great piece because you can like, you can make your decision on, you know, you know, I, I think, you know, like I, clearly Patty's version, they're sleeping together already. Oh, yes. hundred <laughs> percent. Whether it's George Hearn or Michael Severus, she's, they're sleeping together. We'll see what Annalie Ashford makes as a choice. Let's, I think I can run this to the end here. I think we're going to play us out. Let's just listen to this. By the sea in our nest, we could share our kippers with the odd-paying guest from the weekend trip. Let's have a nice sunny sweet for the guests to rest in now and then. You could do that guesting by the sea. 
The final note is so fun. This is like the the line that continually makes me laugh. Every time I listened to this score, the uh, every now and then we can do the guest in. Oh, sorry. Now and then you can do the guest in. Just, I think it's so funny. I <laughs> Sondheim always says that he never wrote funny lyrics, that he only got like smiles or like nods. It legitimately makes me laugh every single time I listen to that. Well, I agree. And it's it's both the lyric itself, which is hilarious, but it's also just the nonchalantness of, wh- of where it's put in the song. It's not even like emphasized. Mm-hmm. It's just like, oh, yeah, you'll do that. That's sure. That'll be fine. Yeah. Well, it, honestly, it reminds me of like, if you've ever been a part of like people going and like buying a house or something like that, like a, a married couple coming is like, oh, we can put like the blue curtains over here. Like, it's just like, so, that's all that she's kind of mentioned. It's like, oh, you can, you can kill the guests every so often and keep up that if you want to and like and then on to the next thought no i know it's just it's so funny and then i feel like also i read something about that sondheim was unaware that chopper had a multiple meanings when he wrote yeah it, it means penis in uh, in britain which is, is you know term. very funny you know it by you know if you yeah. if when you know that it makes that lyric even you know like are also just calling it your chopper like talking about mm-hmm. like the thing he uses is quite funny in and of itself but yeah, then the added layer of that also just kind of makes it, you know, kind of bubble up and be kind of old double entendre oh, once yeah, again. You know, it. Um, I I like to assume. I, I think this is not just a Sondheim thing. This is for any person that you want to put that label of genius on. But I think there might be just something infused in them where yes, it was a mistake, quote unquote. But maybe it was just infused in them that they knew <laughs> the chopper was the right word to use because it's a funny. And uh, it has this other benefit. Oh, absolutely. And I and I but I do think that this it's a great ending. Um, I like that in more in since that recording. Now they just end with the wedding that you have the little blah, which wasn't on that recording, mm. I don't think. But uh, no, but that's now kind of been like the 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 ending of it, which I kind of like it. I think it just kind of sews up in a perfect like, you know, three minutes. The what this woman and I think this verse does it really well. Like, you know, exactly what you're saying. You know, oh, yes, we'll have this. We'll have that. You'll kill people. It'll be fine. And then we'll do this. And then we'll do that. And then we'll be married. It'll be great. <laughs> right. And, you know. And <laughs> it's like, you'll come over. We'll nosh for a bit. Exactly. We'll that's kill some people. Like. And they'll go home. It really feels that way. And that's important. That's an important moment at the, because this is near the top of, I mean, we've had, we've had the opening number and we've had the. We've had the, the yeah. We've had God, that's good, Joanna, and then this. I yeah, think it, comes de- right I was about to say, it. depending on the production, this is either the second or third Joanna we've had. Uh, right. And yeah, yeah. You need this moment before everything just spirals down. Yeah, I, I think that this is an important point too of just how like dramatically in musicals you do have to be very conscious of when certain songs come about, and sometimes kind of just need a song. That alleviates tension before you ramp it back up again. And this song does that too, while also doing all the other things that we described here. But uh, yeah, sometimes a song that quote unquote like just needs to be in the show because of dramatically there needs to be something there can feel like it's tossed off and feel like yeah it's it's unneeded. Which again, I know some people think maybe might think about this song, but I think it's doing something so much more clever. I agree, and I don't think even on his worst day, I don't feel like Sondheim if it felt dis he could dishonest he could really write a song this good you know what i mean like he could mm-hmm. certainly write a not good song if it but he would sure. but he would not but it wouldn't be like clearly as good of a song as what this is you know what i mean yeah um i guess overall like to put a, i don't know a rating or something on this like how does this rate in your sweeney todd score if you're looking at every song all 
20 something of them i think is what i went through in that season so where would you rate this song oh lord i think it's near the top i i, w- I don't know if i can say it's the top i will say probably like if i were to like the the, the top num like however many songs she miss love it has those are like the top of the show for me mm-hmm. um but i think definitely like it it would be like worst pies in london a little priest and then maybe this song i think so like third yeah i love this song too i mean this has never been a skip song for me i always love it when it shows up either on shuffle or when i listen to this entire score i always try and sing along and hit like the squawks uh but my register doesn't go that high and i always always fail but i still try <laughs> i still try and do it <laughs> you know what honestly kyle that's half the battle Jonathan, thank you so much for joining me. This has been real fun. Um, if people wanted to, you know, stay in contact with you, see what you're up to, what is the best way to do so online? I am at JS Chisholm22 on all social media platforms. And, you know, if you want to, I, you know, keep in contact with, you know, what I'm doing, what I'm auditioning for, what I'm, if I just decided to sing something that day and be annoying, it's fine. I'm mostly, mostly Instagram, but I'm, I'm trying, I'm doing my mm. best on the TikTok. I think I'm a little, think I'm a little old for the TikTok, but I'm doing my best. <laughs> <laughs> Aren't we all? Um, uh, thanks, Jonathan. Thank you for asking. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. You can send emails to puttingittogetherpodcast at gmail.com. And you can also follow Sondheim Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. And you can support the show on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash puttingittogetherpodcast. Thank you to the Alberta Podcast Network, to Park Power, and to the Edmonton Public Schools Open House this week. Putting It Together is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and pretty much anywhere you get podcasts from. Consider subscribing so that you never miss an episode. Next week, we are going to be talking about Ah, But Underneath. And I'll be stripping the entire time but only because this is an audio medium. As always, a big thank you to the great Chris Taniguchi who designed the podcast artwork and to Nick Driscoll for composing our theme music. Well, we've reached the end of our episode. Yes, I know. Goodbye for now. (laughs) 